Well, good morning. I'm thankful to be here with you this morning. Thomas had a chance to get away with his bride and his children, and so he's enjoying a little time away, and so I'm, uh, I'm covering for him this morning. We're uh, continuing through the book of James, so if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to turn to the book of James, chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 24 this morning. I probably don't have to tell you the truth that you already know, that there are many deceivers out there, as faith goes. The world religions are full of unbelievers. They dominate much of the world. Here in Idaho, we have many cults. I drive by kingdom halls and Jehovah's Witness stakes every, or um, Mormon stakes uh, every day during my job. There are many deceivers in the world, to be sure. Many threats to the church from the outside that would seek to lead God's people astray from the truth. But there are not only threats from outside the church, there are threats inside the church. And I don't have to tell you about too many of those, but perhaps the biggest threat of all is that of self-delusion. Self-delusion. The church in our day has become a church of watchers rather than a church of doers. We have become an entertainment-based church. So people now do not come to serve, they come to be served. And this, beloved, upends the gospel and the truth of Christ. And James is going to address that topic this morning as we look at James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Many people have tried to, in history, disqualify the book of James, saying James is teaching a works theology, that he's saying that works are required for salvation, but that's not the point of James' letter at all. The point is we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but not a faith that is alone. The truth of the matter is our faith should be accompanied by good works. And I'm not afraid to say that. (laughs) I'm not afraid to say that truth because it's true. It is the truth of the gospel. We are saved by faith alone, but the evidence of our faith is going to show up in a changed heart, a changed life, and good works. That God, by the way, has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So, turn with me if you're not there already, but we'll start in verse 22. James says, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, 
not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Let's pray. Father, sometimes your word is just so very clear, and yet we, we seem to make a mess out of it. Lord, we over-intellectualize, we over-analyze, we overthink instead of doing. Father, in this day and age, it's so easy to become self-deluded, to believe that we're following after Christ when in fact we're not. We're not making disciples, we're not serving. And this text would, would hit us square in the face this morning. I confess I, I even fear to preach this text, knowing the ominous ramifications of it. Father, may your church be glorified this morning. May Christ be glorified. May, may the church be motivated to service and good deeds, because that's what you've called us to. That's why you've given us your spirit. That's why you've filled us. So I pray, Father, this morning that your word would penetrate as only it can, that it would, it would cut to the very quick of our heart and that it would expose any wrong thinking that we may have, that we might repent of it, that we might receive forgiveness and that we might follow Christ in obedience. Lord, may you be glorified this morning through the preaching of your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Many believers in our day tend to measure their faithfulness by how many things they've attended. During the course of a given week, many people will attend a small group. They will attend a Bible study. They will attend a worship service, an equipping hour, four messages perhaps in one given week, plus the time they listen to their radios in the car. They hear even more messages. So how many sermons do you think a person might listen to in a given week? How much conviction might be heaped upon their heart? And yet how much follow through do you think there is? I've been in ministry for some 20 years now. And I'd like to say this morning, and I'm going to say it on the front side, and I'm going to say it as emphatically as I can. The gospel is about salvation. There's no question. But it's also about serving and not being served. And the way we measure Christian maturity is by acts of service, not by head knowledge. And that, beloved, is something that most people don't take too long to think about. When they think about growing in Christ, what they think about is how much knowledge have I attained? How much Bible information have I memorized? Not how am I serving other people? Christ came to serve, right? Not to be served. And that stands behind the very gospel itself. It's about doing truth and not simply hearing truth. So how did the church get here? And what can we do to avoid this, this delusional trap in our thinking? The doing of good works, it, it, it's not necessary for salvation. We can prove that by the thief on the cross. 
He believed Christ, and Christ said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. We know that good works are not required for salvation, and I am not saying that this morning. So do not walk out of here thinking that that's what I have said. But works are evidence that one is truly saved. That their heart has been changed. I was was talking with some believers last night, and we were talking about hunting. How many of you are hunters? This is Idaho. And, and as we were talking, I couldn't help but think about the story I heard about a coyote who had stepped in a bear trap. And you know what a bear trap is, right? You know those things, they, they pry the jaws open and it's kind of a pressure trap. And when you step on it, it, it closes up on the leg. Well, this coyote was very stupid. And he stepped in the trap and he chewed off three of his legs and he was still caught in the trap. You're supposed to laugh at that. But that's the delusion that we face. We sort of have stepped in this trap and we do these other things to try to correct the problem by hearing more and taking in more information, but it only makes the problem worse because we don't implement it. We don't do what God wants us to do. And that's what James is talking about this morning. And so this morning, we're going to learn two ways to avoid the trap of self-delusion in our Christian walk. Two ways. And the first way is in verse 22. It's very obvious. It's laying right there on the surface of the text. But we must serve God faithfully. We must serve God faithfully. James says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Prove yourselves doers. And the idea here is, uh, it's a present active. It's be showing yourself to be doers. And the reason they've translated it as prove is because he says become. The verb here is geneste in the Greek, and it means to become. To become doers of the word. Not just hearers. It's a command. And so the idea here is, is prove that you're a believer by doing good works. A believers are being described as, quote, doers. This appears four times. Uh, three times in this very section we're looking at. He says the word doers three times. It's in verse 22, verse 23, and verse 25, but it's also in chapter 4 and verse 11. He says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. So James likes this word doer. And that's how he describes believers and unbelievers. It's kind of a generic term, but but the point is that he wants believers to become doers of the word and not merely a hearer who does not do the word, but deludes themselves. And so he says, and not only hearers, 
And, and the idea here with hearers is attentive listeners. And this is, in fact, the delusion. This is the delusion. It's, it's not enough to simply hear the word preached. You, you have to implement it in your life as a believer through service. Right? And that's why sanctification on your own is so difficult. That's why it's impossible. You need the body of Christ. Because not only are people supposed to serve you, but God has given you a spiritual gift so that you can do what? Serve others. Right? Now, why would James give a command to not be self-deluded or another way to say it is self-deceived unless it was actually a real possibility? Either that or it was, actual, it was an actual problem with the believers of his day. And, and particularly in this area of faith-based works. See, these believers had uh, Dr. Thomas uh, from the Master Seminary. He said this. Uh, he said these believers had been, quote, deceived by false logic and drew false conclusions, believing that the sound of the word was enough. They were deluded. See, some people think that somehow James got his theology wrong and that he's saying that works are necessary for salvation, but he's not. His message is not at all inconsistent with the rest of the New Testament. His focus is just different. See, James is advocating the truth that works are evidence that one is in possession of saving faith. Uh, John MacArthur wrote a book called Faith Works about the apostles and their ministry. Faith works. It does, necessarily. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans 2.13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Just let that sink in for a minute. Justification, the act of God whereby he declares a person righteous on the basis of their faith in Christ. It's, it's the ones who are doers of the law of God who are justified. Not just the hearers. You really need to stop and think about this this morning. This is serious stuff. And notice that the law in this context is not capitalized. He's not talking about the Mosaic law. He's talking about the law of God. The perfect law. Right? Right? the precepts of God, the things that he requires from his people, the things that stand behind um, the faith. It's his word. And this is not legalism, by the way. I am not a legalist. This is not legalism. This is obedience. It's a big difference. Those who do the law what James calls the, the perfect law or the law of liberty will be justified. 
They will be declared righteous by God, not those who simply hear it preached. Think about the words of Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. Listen, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Founded on the rock. What's the rock? You acted on them. You acted on his words and so you're built on a firm foundation. That's what he's saying. Contrast that with everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So you have a person who acts on the words of Christ. By the way, in Matthew, this is the first discourse of the king to the people of the kingdom, right? And what's he say at the end of his sermon? You either do what I say, and it'll go well with you, or you don't do what I say, and great will be your fall. Well, you might say to yourself, well, Pastor Vince, you, you can't be talking about me. I'm too smart to be self-deluded, right? Let me ask you a question. What's your ministry? What's your ministry in the church? Are you serving the body of Christ in any capacity, inside or outside the church? What's your ministry? Are you measuring how faithful you are by your attendance or by listening to sermons? I'm faithful. I come to church every Sunday and I listen to the preaching. Beloved, that's what James is saying is self-deluded. It's those who do what's being preached that are justified before God. Oh, and and you think, well, it was different for the nation of Israel, right? Well, Deuteronomy, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the great Shema of Israel, right? The great commandment. Jesus even picked up on this later in his ministry. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. This is Moses talking to Israel. That you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So that you and your sons and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. 
Then comes the great commandment, Shema Israel, Yahweh Elohenu, Yahweh Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. So what's the great commandment? Is it just to hear? Now, see, it's to hear and do all of these words, right? And the loving the Lord your God with everything you have, that's how you implement that truth. The explicitly and implicitly any hearing on the part of the nation of Israel involved the doing of what was being heard. Obedience to God's revealed truth was required. And we've covered many topics in the book of James, such as, you know, joy in the midst of trials. We've talked about sin and temptation. We talked about the goodness of God. Most recently, we talked about the subject of anger and how to overcome anger. And there are many other topics James is going to cover in this letter, but there are none as important as this topic. This is the main point of the book of James. This is it. Genuine saving faith cannot be separated from service or doing the Word of God. Works. Ephesians chapter 2. Why don't you turn there? Verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We would do them. It's just, it's the consistent message of the New Testament. It's the consistent message of anybody who would follow God. We are saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. Now, don't get me wrong, the hearing of the word is good. I'm all for preaching. But. The more you sit under the teaching of God's Word, the more sermons you hear, the more condemnation you heap up for yourself if you don't do them. You understand that? You have to do what it says. It would be better if you don't come if you're not going to do it. J.C. Ryle says this, The gospel 
which we possess was not given us only to be admired, talked of, professed, but practiced. It was not meant merely to reside in our intellect, memories, tongues, but to be seen in our lives. Randy Smith says this, Understanding the gospel message and receiving the gospel message always shows itself in manifesting the gospel message in our actions. It's not enough just to hear it. We have to do it. Well, what am I saying? I'm saying that Christian maturity, as I said initially, is not based on how many times you hear the word preached. It's not based on your knowledge of the word. It's based upon your application of the word to your lives and in service. In, in service to Christ and to others. I like this uh, quote by a man named David Whitney. He said, serving must become a spiritual discipline. The flesh connives against its hiddenness and sameness. Two of the deadliest of our sins, sloth and pride, loathe serving. That's loathe, not love. (laughs) If we don't discipline ourselves to serve for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, we'll serve only occasionally or when it's convenient or self-serving. The result will be a quantity and quality of service we'll regret when the day of accountability for our service comes. I want to, I want to put this into action right away. Take out your bulletins. Turn to the very last page. You know, this is a church plan. Lots of areas you could serve. Lots of areas to start up, to develop. But look at this uh, list of the ways to serve at ABF. Cleaning team, table setup, live stream, sound, teardown team, security, greeters, music teams, sign setup, teardown, children's ministries, several different ways in the children's ministries. Potluck set up, tear down. Uh, this is just in-house stuff. What about the gospel? What about preaching the gospel? What about evangelism? What about outreach? See, there's First Peter 4 talks about two kinds of gifts. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. These clearly would help somebody identify a serving gift, but what about those of you with speaking gifts? Bible studies. What about uh, investigatory Bible studies? Right? What about sharing the gospel with people? That's, those are speaking gifts. This counseling thing, you know, this counseling conference that's coming up. You know, to be an effective counselor, you have to have the gift of exhortation. That's a speaking gift. Right? So, so what is your gift? Do you even know? Are you implementing it in the church body? Are you implementing it outside the church body? Do you have speaking gifts or do you have serving gifts? 
And to each one has been given a gift. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ to maturity. Right? If you don't know what your gift is, then pick a ministry and try it. Serve others. If you're good at it, do it some more. But the truth here is that you've been called by God. You've been regenerated. You've been washed. You've been filled with the Spirit. You've been given a spiritual gift. You've been adopted into the family of God. And not simply for your own salvation. You've been saved for a purpose to serve your king. You've been called to a life of service. This is a church of 200 ministers, not three. Right? It's not just the professionals. You're all called to a life of ministry. That's why you've been called. So we must serve Him faithfully. The second way to avoid the trap of self-delusion, we must see ourselves clearly. I hate this part. I don't like looking in the mirror. I hate what I see most of the time. But James is going to give us two vignettes that will cause us to take a hard look at ourselves and how we measure up to what God expects of us. And no, Angelo, a vignette is not a type of salad dressing. There's a structural tip-off in the text here for us in the Greek. Uh, James uses a, a demonstrative pronoun two times. And a demonstrative pronoun, it's this one. Right? There's a near demonstrative, there's a far dem- this one, that one. But this one shows up in the text two times. And so there's two vignettes, two men, two hypothetical situations that he's going to give us, and he's going to contrast the two with how people respond to the Word of God. So these are two responses to the Word of God. There is, this one is like this, and later you will see, this one will be blessed. The contrast. Let me say one other thing. These are proverbial statements. The verbs are all past tense, really. That's probably not been translated that way, but that's what it really looks like. They're proverbs. Past tense. In Greek, they call it the, the nomic use of the aorist tense. That's one of the pointless things I learned in seminary. Uh, they're past tense. They're proverbs. I'll show you what I mean. Uh, remember, we looked at this over in chapter 1, verse 11. Uh, sorry, I did not turn back to James. Chapter 1, verse 11. The sun rises with a scorching wind and withers. The grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Those are all past tense verbs too. That's a, 
it's a proverb as well. It, it literally says the sun rose with a scorching wind. It, it withered the grass, the flower fell off, and the beauty of its appearance was destroyed. It's a, it's a proverb. And it's the same thing over here. So the, the first picture that we're going to see of man's response to the Word of God is the casual glance of the man in the mirror. Casual glance of the man in the mirror, verses 23 to 24. He says, for, and anytime you see the word for, it's kind of a, a sub-explanation here. It's, a, it's, a, it's an explanation of what he means by the initial statement, right? If you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, you're deluded. For, or let me explain that, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, this one... This is where it shows up. This one is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Okay. <laughs> well, explain that to me. What does that mean? For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So the first picture is that of a hearer of the gospel and not a doer of it. That's the picture. He, this man, this one, and by the way, man here, Andre, uh, it's a common word for man, but here it's being used of man or woman. This is a man or a woman. It doesn't have to be a man. He, he looks at his natural birth face in a mirror. That's what it literally says. He, he looks in the mirror and he sees his natural birth face. He sees his depravity. He sees his sin. He looks at himself in the mirror. He gets a glimpse of himself and his sin nature, but he doesn't really peer into the depths of his heart. It's a casual glance, and then he walks away. And there's no conviction of sin because it's just a casual glance. He looks in the mirror, and like Gaston, he thinks he looks pretty good. Then comes the more specific explanation for he looked at, and here's where the past tense verbs come in. He looked at or he considered or he perceived himself and has gone away and immediately forgot what kind of person he was. He's gone away. This is actually a, a perfect verb, which is still past tense, but in the Greek it, it kind of means as it stands as a past action, but with ongoing results. So what does that mean? It means he stands as having left the Word of God. He, he, he looked at himself in the Word of God. He, he thought he looked pretty good. He, he got a picture of himself, but a brief glimpse, and he walked away from the Word of God, and he didn't come back. He forgot what kind of person he was. That's what I'm saying. You, you have to get a clear picture of who you are from the Word of God. What sort was he? What sort are you when you look in the mirror? You're a sinner. You're a sinner saved by grace, just like the rest of us. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. And when we look at our natural face in the mirror, sometimes we don't like what we see. And so we, we just sort of walk away. 
and forget what we saw, and we don't allow the Scriptures to do its work on us. Well, what about the second picture? This is the second response to the man of God. This is the the convicted gaze of the man of the Word. But one who looked, past tense, intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and having remained, literally, by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. This is our second picture. And this picture is that of a hearer and a doer of the word. A hearer and a doer of the gospel. And I don't know if I, I think I was supposed to say it, but I don't know if I actually said it. So let me go back on my notes for just a moment. Yeah, I don't think I said this. The word is the word of truth from verse 18. It's the implanted word from verse 21. It's the perfect law from verse 25. It's the law of liberty from verse 25. It's the gospel that we're talking about. We're talking about the gospel. This person, this second person, this second vignette, this person is obedient to the word. He's he's himself for what he really is. He's convicted by it. He looks at his own heart and he repents and he believes and he trusts Christ and he finds forgiveness. Past tense. He, He looked at himself for what he really was through the lens of Scripture. And this guy sees every pimple, every spot, every blemish, But he also sees the grace of God. And the forgiveness that is found in Christ and in the gospel. That's why he calls it the perfect law. The law of liberty, right? Look at James 2.12. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. You and I will be judged by the gospel of God's grace, not by the Mosaic law. These are synonyms for the gospel, the word of truth, the implanted word. There's freedom to be found in the precepts of the Lord. It's not not cumbersome to keep his commands. There's, There's tremendous blessing in obeying God and doing what he requires of you. And, and this person, it says he, he remained or he abided by the Word. He, he stayed in it. So he didn't just take a glance in the mirror and move on. This man looks intently at the Gospel. He remains fixated on it. He stays with it. He allows it to pierce him, to cut him, to expose his sin and his errors. That's how the Word of God works, by the way. Psalm 19 helps us with this understanding. You know, after all these descriptions of the Word of God, right? The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, all these things work on the heart of man, but how? Verse 13, uh, verse 12, sorry. 
Verse 11, sorry. (laughs) Moreover, by them. By what? His word, his precepts, right? Your precepts, your your commands, your, your law, by them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, or in doing them, there's great reward. And here's, here's how. Verse 12. Who can discern his errors? That's one word for sin. Acquit me of hidden faults. That's another word for sin. And keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. That's another word for sin. Three types of sin. The, the obvious ones, the intentional ones, and the ones that nobody knows about but me. And sometimes I don't even know about them. But what does the Word of God do? It exposes them. It, it casts a spotlight on them. It shows you them so that you can repent of them. And he says, then I will be blameless. I turn from those sins. I don't let them rule over me. And, and then I'm acquitted of great or much transgression. And that's why he says, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You have to let the word of God penetrate your heart. It has to expose the sin. You have to see the sin in order to turn from it. This is not a 12-step Alcoholics Anonymous process here. We're not talking about you have to admit you're a sinner in order to be saved. What we're talking about here is that it, the Word of God pierces you. It shows you what sin looks like. So you can turn from it and be saved. It's the perfect law. It's the law of liberty. It's freedom. Not legalism. It's obedience. That's why he says, not having become a forgetful hearer. Literally, it says a hearer of forgetfulness. In contrast to, a very strong contrast to in the text, an effectual doer. Right? There's a a hearer of forgetfulness, and there's somebody who does what they're supposed to do. Literally, it says a doer of a work. Not an effectual doer. It says a doer of a work. So, what's the result? What's the result? Blessed he will be in his doing. If he does the word, if he does the gospel, if he lives out the gospel in his life, what's going to happen to him? He's going to be blessed. This is a beatitude. It's a beatitude. Blessed are those who do the work. <laughs> Obedience to the word of God. The gospel brings blessing and happiness. It's, it's not legalism to obey God's will. 
So if you want to avoid the trap of self-delusion and be blessed, then you're going to have to take a hard look at yourself in the Word of God. Meditate on its truths long and hard. You are a sinner saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. And that's the truth. You have nothing to commend yourself to God apart from the work that Christ has done on your behalf. Now, a lot of world religions, all world religions, get this wrong. To them, it's the work on the other side of the equation. You do the work to earn your salvation. What we're saying is salvation is free, it's a gift, it's grace, but on the other side of the equation, it equals doing good works. And that difference in that equation is all the difference in the world. Once you have that picture of who you are in your mind, don't forget it. Abide by it. Stay in the Gospel. Keep preaching the Gospel to yourself every day. And importantly, live out the Gospel in every area of your life. Don't fall into the trap of secular and and sacred. You know, worship is something I do on Sunday when I come to church. The rest of the week, not so much. Have you assessed yourself accurately? Do you see yourself clearly? Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But, what? His delight is in the law of the Lord. Small l. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And what kind of man is he going to be? He's going to be like a man firmly planted by streams of living water. He'll be like a cultivated tree in the garden of God. What about the wicked? Not so the wicked. See, they don't meditate on God's Word. They don't, they don't look at themselves in God's Word. They don't think about it. And so they wither. They don't have the Word of God. So they wither like a sagebrush, and they turn into a tumbleweed. And when the wind comes, what happens to tumbleweeds? They blow away. They get blown away in the judgment. See, it, it says what... He yields his fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Blessing for obedience. Right? He does the word. Psalm one twelve one. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm one nineteen, one to two, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law, small l, of the Lord. 
How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. Psalm 128.1 How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Who does the word. This uh, one preacher, Henry Ward Beecher, Congregationalist preacher, he said, when God wanted sponges and oysters, <laughs> I love this quote, he made them and put one on a rock and the other in the mud. When he made man, he did not make him to be a sponge or an oyster. He made him with feet and hands and head and heart and vital blood and a place to use them. And he said to them, go work. We have to see ourselves clearly. Who are you? What are you? You're a believer and you've been given the Spirit and you've been given a gift and you have to employ it for God's glory. Keep looking at yourself through the lens of Scripture and then go back and look again. Remember what you saw. And live in light of the saving grace of the Gospel. The only then are you going to have a right estimation of who you are. And only then will you be compelled to serve the Lord in humility. We need to serve God faithfully. God requires more than just hearing. We need to see ourselves clearly. Get an accurate picture of yourself through the lens of Scripture. And before you walk out of here today, ask yourself right now, right this moment, while you may be under the conviction of the Spirit, in what ways am I serving God and His church that He purchased with the blood of Christ? Am I contributing to the advancement of the gospel in this world? Be honest with yourself. Are you just a hearer of sermons and not a doer of them? Are you a listener only? If so, then I want to challenge you to become a doer of the word. Not merely a hearer who's deluded. If you are a doer of the Word, then bless you. I pray you are experiencing the fullest measure of His blessing in your doing. Because that's what the Scripture promises. Blessing for those who obey. Look at that. I finished early. We can put a little time in my bank, right? (laughs) 